You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. Yes, I know it's Saturday, but we're here to offer you, our listeners a special audio-only version of a new weekly video series called Crypto IRL. That's IRL like in real life. And it's hosted by friends of the show Katie Greifeld and Tim Stenovic. This is episode three of the series. If you want the full video experience, head over to Bloomberg.com QT or check it out on YouTube. You hate talking about Bitcoin and energy. I do. Why? I just feel like you have two sides. They have their opinions. They're very entrenched opinions. Neither side are going to change. And because of that, it becomes just very heated and emotional very, very quickly. I don't I mean, that sounds like good content. It, it just it's like watching a presidential debate. Like maybe there's going to be some zingers or like some viral moments, but it doesn't feel like we're actually discussing. Anything. So you think nobody changes their mind? I don't think so. OK, well, we're going to try to we're not going to try to necessarily change anyone's mind today. Um, okay. But we want to give everyone all the information that they need to sort of understand Bitcoin and energy. Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. Experts say crypto uses more power each year than Argentina. The energy it takes to process one single Bitcoin transaction could power the typical American home for more than 50 days. Bitcoin is so energy intensive because it relies on miners, high-powered computers that process transactions. These attempt to solve really complex problems and then get rewarded in the form of Bitcoin when they succeed. And more computers are trying to do this. The amount of computing power needed to process transactions hit a record earlier this year. Miners are trying to lower their carbon footprint by using renewables, but the share of renewables used to power Bitcoin's network actually fell between 2020 and 2021. All of this is happening at a time when the world is seeing one of its worst energy crises in decades. And it raises quite a few big questions. Is there an eco-friendly way to power crypto? And perhaps even more importantly, should energy even be going to crypto while the world struggles to keep the lights on? 
Alex, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining us. So it's not really in dispute that crypto uses a lot of energy, that Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. I, I think that the dispute, the argument is that it's not worth it to use a finite resource for something like cryptocurrency. But what would you say to somebody who says, no, I believe in the promise of crypto and it is worth it for, for us to actually spend a finite resource like energy, mining it and on maintaining it? I, I, I would indeed agree that if any amount of energy is being spent, you always have to look at what do you ultimately get back from that. And the thing is, when we look at the Bitcoin network, we know that it is, uh, it is a, a digital currency, a payment system. And we also know that it is a payment system that is currently handling about 100 million transactions a year. So that means that it's actually not handling more than a handful of transactions per second. And that's it, which is completely negligible if you look at it from a uh, regular uh, world of finance perspective because the traditional financial institutions are responsible for handling more than 700 billion uh, digital payments every year and that amount is still growing. So, I mean, that's an amazing stat, but to be totally honest, part of the reason I don't like having conversations about energy is because, and Bitcoin and crypto's energy uses is because on both sides, it sort of devolves into a toxic conversation is what I found. And I found that there's a lot of bad faith arguments on both sides. And I know that you're deeply rooted in the numbers, in the actual facts, but what's your best sense about why people get so emotional over these numbers? Well, it's not that hard to see why that is the case. Huh? We see that a lot of people have invested their uh, money in Bitcoin and we see that this type of uh, data uh, reflects extremely poorly on Bitcoin and, uh, well, actually to the extent where we see that uh, China took action to completely ban cryptocurrency mining from their country in the spring of 2021. Uh, the European Union almost banned uh, Bitcoin trading in the EU uh, a few months ago. And uh, actually, the White House just released a report that uh, also recommended consider potentially eliminating cryptocurrency mining. So, of course, with a lot of people having invested in this, uh, they definitely won't like this whole discussion. And, and, and certainly not if that's going to result in uh, outright bans. It's hard to have a conversation about energy and crypto's use of energy without talking about the Ethereum merge. Of course, the transition from that blockchain from proof of work to proof of stake, which of course is much less energy intensive. Could that be the green solution for the industry broadly beyond just Ethereum? Oh, well, I think so. I mean, if, if you run on proof of stake or uh, well, and I must say it's not the only alternative to the process that is responsible for so much energy consumption in Bitcoin, but it is definitely the most popular alternative. In any case, let me just say, if you make use of proof of stake, you can probably get away with using something like 10,000 times less power than you would need if you were to run on proof of work. So just changing that part of the software can lead to uh, incredible energy savings and we see that there are many cryptocurrencies uh, already available in the market that are uh, running on proof of stake and have been running on proof of stake for years so 
if yeah, if 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 you do that, and if that becomes the standard for the industry, uh, then a big part, or al well, almost the entirety of the energy consumption we're talking about could be solved. Alex DeVries, thank you so much for joining us. Very welcome. If if I can say one thing, as I, I have, we talked about proof of stake, but we didn't really bother to explain. Uh, anything, huh? we just mentioned that it could save a lot of energy. Is that something you might want to spend a few extra words on? Like, why is it even possible to save so much energy if you do that? But it's a bit of a lengthy explanation and maybe too technical, but yeah. Can it be, can it be in 30 seconds, uh, do you think? Like in a, in a way that's digestible for normal people? <laughs> in 30 seconds, well, um, di digestible maybe. Uh, 30 seconds, okay. challenging. <laughs> Challenging, eh? Well, when you have it scripted by a Bloomberg journalist and thrown in a teleprompter, it's actually pretty easy. So in under 30 seconds, here's the difference. In proof of work, super powerful computers owned by miners compete to be the first to unlock a cryptographic puzzle. After multiple attempts using up lots of energy, one miner solves the puzzle. If they're first, they get a token and a transaction is recorded. Proof of stake dispenses with the problem solving, removing excessive energy use. Instead, transactions are approved by participants who put up coins as guarantees of their work. And if that work is validated, you get a reward. If it isn't, you don't. See, it wasn't so hard. Zach Bradford, CEO and president of CleanSpark, with us now in studio. What's interesting about CleanSpark is it sounds a little bit like an oxymoron, a sustainable Bitcoin mining operation. What does that actually mean in practice? How do you fulfill that sustainable checkmark? Our focus on sustainability really comes down to, you know, both sustainable energy, but also sustainable business practices and how we interact with the community. So for us, you know, energy is a big deal around Bitcoin. We approach it with the acknowledgement that energy is a feature and not a flaw. And, you know, we focus on sustainably interacting with the grid but also we use about 90% carbon-free power with a goal of ultimately getting to 100% at some point in the future. Um, but it takes time. We think that being part of the transition is what, what matters, you know, getting from point A to point B and in a sustainable process. What is carbon-free power? So carbon-free power can come in many forms. It can be solar, it can be wind. We actually use a lot of nuclear energy, which puts off no carbon into the atmosphere. So that, those are kind of the cornerstone of the energy sources we, that we use. Do you also tell us about the role of carbon offsets? Because I know that there are a lot of miners who do use carbon offsets. How much of that is part of your business model? Very little. So again, we, we focus on the source. So we're only using about 10% of the power has any sort of carbon offput uh, right now. Um, it can be a strategy, right? But not all renewable energy credits or carbon offsets are created equal, right? So anything that we do, we try and, you know, go through a mechanism that results in new solar generation being added to the grid. So that's, that, that's the only one that we participate in right now. Do you buy power that is carbon free or are you actually generating it yourself? We are buying power. So, so you don't have your own solar arrays or anything? Not right now, we don't. We are adding a solar array to one of our facilities in the near future, but it'll still just be part of what it is. So we, we connect directly to the grid in the areas we operate in. I want to get existential. Okay. A question that I have about the Bitcoin mining industry, because there's a lot of pressure on the entire industry yeah. 
right now. And then you layer on the need or the push to become sustainable. It feels like it's fallen way down the priority list because there's a lot of miners who are just trying to stay in business right now. And in this path to a sustainable, a green Bitcoin mining future, how much has that timeline been pushed out? You know, I think it's actually been shortened in some ways um, because it's actually getting more important. You know, some of the conversations are actually leading to quicker change. So, you know, depending on how you poll the industry, but it's estimated that about 60% of the power used by the industry is already renewable or carbon free. Um, now that still leaves a big gap to close, but if you were to compare it to any other industry, we're actually doing a lot better in most cases. What would you say to someone who says, okay, electricity is still a finite resource, even if we're getting it from renewable sources. Mm -hmm. And they just don't think it's a good use of energy mm -hmm. to be mining crypto. They would rather that energy be used for keeping the lights on mm -hmm. or running air conditioning in hot places. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, look at the regions that miners are operating in. Um, miners focus on finding cheap power. It's part of our strategy, right? And, you know, we operate a lot in Georgia where there's actually abundant power. So would I say it would be a good use to come into California, which has a very, you know, the grid is unstable and under a lot of stress and open up a Bitcoin mine? Probably not. But ultimately, if you do it in Georgia or a few other places like that where there is abundant energy, we're actually focusing on using the underutilized resources that do exist and then adding to the generation. So again, you have to think of it as a transition about what we can add. I have a series of simple questions, yeah. if we can go there. Let's talk about the Ethereum merge. Mm -hmm. um, the switch from proof of work to proof of stake, We've all seen the headlines that it cuts Ethereum's power usage down by 99% or something. Why can't Bitcoin just go to proof of stake? Yeah. It seems like a pretty easy solution. Mm -hmm. Well, I would point to, again, proof of work is, and the energy it uses is a feature and not a flaw. Um, again, proof of work. What is Bitcoin? You know, there is no CEO of Bitcoin. It's fully decentralized. And really proof of work is the really the only good way to truly secure a blockchain without an overseer. And that has value because Bitcoin is used worldwide as a currency without you know, somebody changing the, the, the mechanism. What creates that value is ultimately there's only gonna be 21 million Bitcoin ever. So somebody can't just decide tomorrow, hey, there's gonna be 40 million, it's kind of like you know, we're all experiencing what the Fed's doing right now to kind of pull back from inflationary, you know, money printing. That won't happen in Bitcoin. But that reminds me of another simple question I have. 21 million Bitcoin will ever only be mined. We're at 19 million now, I believe. Yes. What happens to the miners when we get to 21 million? They will essentially live off of very small fees. So think of Visa, MasterCard, Amex. These are all companies that are very large and function very well on actually very small incremental fees. That's what will happen. But you know that doesn't happen until 2140. So every four years, there's a halving. So basically the reward right now gets cut in half every four years. So even though you say, oh, there's only 2 million left, how do we get to where it's 120 years before the reward runs out? 
by that time, the expectation is that, that Bitcoin essentially truly functions as a worldwide currency and the, the small fractional transaction fees can be support all miners. So you haven't started planning for that yet? We have not started planning for 2140. Okay. <laughs> 2140 or 20? 2140. Oh, so 120 well, years from now. <laughs> we're yeah. still talking about Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Years, I mean, you know, okay. I think we'll we're all going to be in the metaverse. Yeah, so it'll be, yeah. It'll be fine. Which is, be and everybody will be using Bitcoin there. Yeah. So. This special audio-only episode of Crypto IRL will be right back with more from Katie Greifeld and Tim Stenovic. If you want the full video experience, head to Bloomberg.com slash QT. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. If we think about crypto mining compared to mining of natural resources, mm -hmm. a lot of the competitive advantage has to do with location. So, you know, De Beers has great access to diamonds and Rio Tinto, perhaps in the U.S. has great access to copper. Whether or not they can get it is a different story. Um, what's the competitive advantage for a Bitcoin miner, for, for your company? Yeah, and, and it, it is partially location, right? So, for example, we have four facilities in Georgia. And the reason we chose... These are the ones you guys recently bought. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've, we've had, you know, we've been operating in Georgia since 2020. We recently did buy two more. Um, and these areas where we're at is we're kind of on grid edge areas, areas where there's actually excess infrastructure, ex excess energy that's not being used and because it used to be a factory or something like that. So yes, it allows us to get good rates on power, but we're also bringing back to communities, um, you know, workforces, factories that used to be there are closed. So we have a, a workforce that's ready to go. We have energy that's ready to go and uh, lower rates. But couldn't any miner do that? Yes, you know, absolutely. And to the point that you recently made a few acquisitions, when you broaden out and look at the broader industry, in this moment where uh, we've gone through a big downturn, would you expect more consolidation between some of these miners? Absolutely. You know, for us, we, we saw it as a big opportunity, but you had to have a healthy balance sheet. You had to not be over leveraged. You had to be ready for this, you know, downturn. Um, it's something that we've been preparing for for a long time. And so the miners, and we're not the only one, the miners that have prepared, there's definitely going to be some consolidation in the space. Can you explain, because Katie and I have talked about this a lot, and I don't know if anyone really has been able to answer this for us. When we think about mining, if we, if we take it back to like pulling, you know, natural resources out of the ground, yeah. that's clear to understand how somebody gets gold or, or oil or copper out of the ground. Bitcoin miners don't just find new Bitcoin. They also help keep the Bitcoin network running. Yes. Can you explain the difference between 
like discovering new Bitcoin versus maintenance on the network? Yeah. So really what we're doing all the time is we're processing data. So, you know, we have tens of thousands of computers processing data. And what that data ultimately is, is it's, you know, locked by a cryptographic key. And that's what our machines are trying to guess. And so they're putting in all this effort to do that. But ultimately, when you get a block, so what is the block? The block is the ledger of all the transactions that got recorded. So if, you know, you sent Bitcoin to your brother, or whatever it may be, right? That ledger has to then be compared to all the ledgers before it. And so all of this work is going in to make sure that it's secure and that block doesn't get placed without verifying everything behind it. And if there's an error, then the block doesn't get placed. You also don't get the reward. Do you actually need to be on the grid? Like, couldn't you find a spot in the Mojave Desert mm -hmm. that during the day it's hot and it's sunny and it provides solar power? And then at night it's windy so you can get wind power. So you could, you know, in a perfect world be running 24 seven. Couldn't you just be self-sustained? Absolutely, you could. And, but I, I would also argue that then you're providing your own benefit with that energy, right? I think that there's true, and, and this is how we've always set up the company, there's true ancillary benefits to the grid that provide value. We actually operated out of California for the first six years of our business, not as a cryptocurrency mining company, hmm. but as a renewable energy company. That's how we got into the space. And what we found is the interaction with the grid was incredibly important. So we had software that would do that. And at scale though, you start to run into these interesting issues to where, you know, renewables going onto the grid at the wrong times of the day is actually causing a problem for California. There's too much power hitting the grid. Um, well, the sun is shining and everybody's at work and they're not using all their power at their home. Then they go home at night, the sun goes down, they turn their TV on, they turn their AC on. Mine's some Bitcoin. Yeah, <laughs> whatever they may be doing. And now there's not enough energy at that moment so it was about balancing the time the energy is available and not available. And so, you know, really interacting with the grid, we see is important because if we do a behind the grid uh, project or behind the meter project where we're self-generating wind and solar, yes, it means that we're only using renewables and we're not impacting the grid, but it means we're not helping the grid. So it's definitely one way to do it. Um, but it's, it's not the way that we've approached it because we want to drive change at the entire grid level. We really think that our sustainable strategy should provide a benefit to everyone around us. So convince me who, you know, for the sake of argument, just a, a total crypto skeptic, that we shouldn't be spending any energy on cryptocurrency, that it should all go toward, you know, actually essential things that we need power for. Like this light board behind me <laughs> that probably doesn't use much energy because it's LED, but you get the idea. Yeah, I would, I would point to the fact that that energy that we're using is generally already available, but it's no one's using it. And so you think of, you know, I'm, I'm gonna point to, you know, uh, one of the communities we operate in, okay? They have a goal to transition off of coal and they're in the process of doing so. Where's this? This is in Georgia. Okay. Um, it's actually in College Park. It is the same city that serves the Jackson Hartsfield Airport. We operate there. And we are working with them to help them transition away from any reliance, right? And this has been a multi-year strategy for them. It's not that there isn't enough power. And I think that that's a mindset that, that we, we can change, is power is abundant. It's around us. It's about how it's harnessed. And if we're there to pay for it all the time, 
we can help support grid infrastructure, which in this country, we need to invest a lot in grid infrastructure. But why do you have to be mining Bitcoin to do that? I guess, I guess what I'm still not hearing is mm -hmm. like the argument about as, uh, the argument, and this is the argument that totally bothers you, I think, yeah. mm -hmm. of like why Bitcoin should exist. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask, what else is it going to be used for? And how, if, so I'm, I'm going to put myself as the utility now, right? When, you know, in Georgia, it's been a hot summer. When the power prices are peaking, that also means demand is peaking. We shut off. We, you know, all that power goes back into the community. Um, we can actually help reduce power rates in communities because being a large buyer, if it's not being purchased when, you know, it's off peak, then that means that they have to take those dollars and they have to put them back into the community somewhere, right? And so we're, we're actually able to do all of those things. So we're really providing a grid service in addition to everything else. So the question is, why Bitcoin? I would say point to another um, asset or another business that's willing to do that. Come on the grid, off the grid, and really interact in a way that balances both you know, the grid and the power itself, but also balances the monetary system behind utilities. And I, you can't find one. You know, if you're a regular data center right now, um, which, which is a whole other conversation, but you have to be there all the time. You can't just shut down because there goes somebody's website, right? Or there goes somebody's backup system. Um, you know, something that we're not talking about, just pointing to, to data centers is, you know, why, why data centers? Why, can, why is it okay to, you know, host hundreds of megawatts of selfies of power all the time, 24 seven, and set up in a system that cannot we interact with the we grid? We got a tweet. Yeah, so. I know. The people need my content. So. <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Tim, I think I made it pretty clear that I did not want to talk about energy. You really did not want to do that episode. I actually got a lot out of it. Though. Good, that's the idea. So much so that I believe we're going to do a whole nother episode on it. All right, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Want to see these episodes of Crypto IRL in video? Check them out on Bloomberg QuickTake at Bloomberg.com slash QT or find Katie and Tim over on YouTube. On the next episode of Bloomberg Crypto, if you worked at a gaming studio in or around, say, October 2021, you might have been part of discussions about blockchain gaming or NFTs in gaming or some combination of those things. It even looked for a while like major game developers were going to try to make in-game non-fungible tokens a whole thing. So what's happening with that a year later? Well, there's been a vibe shift. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. Or find us on Twitter, we're at crypto. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohamed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael. Have a great weekend. 
Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio.